Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Getting toward a little bit toward the back of your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to see some, some great, great, great truths uh, as we study. Uh, we're calling, of course, this is, we're continuing our study of sanctification. We're calling it being a saint, our union in Christ. We're seeing truths about being set apart. And uh, we're really emphasizing the Christian life. If you remember, on your handout, I've got a little review just to make sure we got it. When we think about sanctification, it's past, present, and future. Past is called positional sanctification and that we have been set apart and that's past tense we have been set apart and then there's present tense which is progressive sanctification and that is we are being set apart and then of course the third one is future which is ultimate sanctification and it we will be set apart. Of course, what we've decided to do is emphasis of this study, as we've seen all three, but we're really emphasizing present uh, sanctification, progressive sanctification, because that's the Christian life. We want to talk about growing as a Christian woman, impact for Christ. We've seen so many things, but in these final two lessons, we're seeing four key areas. And if you've got on your sheet there, the first one is our bodies. The second one is our time. The third one is our possessions. And the last one is our abilities. So that's the four. In the uh, other lesson, we saw our bodies and our time. The idea there is that we're accountable to God for how we use our bodies. He's going to give us a new body. We're to control our body. We're to look, bring, use our body for His glory. And then we talked about our time and we realized when we have so much time, we don't even know how much it is. But uh, the fact is that we're to use it for His glory. Uh, walk in wisdom. Uh, you know, Making the most of our time. Redeeming the time. And those kind of things. Well, in this lesson, we're going to talk about our possessions and our abilities. And we'll describe it more as we get into it. So let's think about this. We're fallen people. When Adam sinned, sin, uh, the entire human race, fell. Romans 5.12 is through one man sin entered the world and death by sin, death passed upon all for all sin. So notice death come to all and all of us are spiritually dead. All of us come into this world spiritually dead. And Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So we come into this world with this natural bent to sin. We call it the flesh. It's the pull to do wrong. Uh, I always draw the drawing up. And once again, I'm drawing the little man that I have. And he has. we have a body. And then we have a soul. And we have a conscience. And we have a flesh. And then we have the human spirit, which is the part that's born again, the new creation in Christ. And then we have the Holy Spirit. And we still, even as we be, as a believer, we still have the flesh, which is the natural bent to sin. We still want to sin. We still have the desire to sin. And we see it just in our lives that what we say is, it's mine. This is mine. We look at children. Children come into this world. They come into this world dead in sin. They come into this world as naturally sinners. A lot of people say, oh, no, no, no. Children are so sweet. No, they're all sinners. You have to teach children to do right. You don't have to teach children to do wrong. What's the famous thing that children say? That's mine. Mine. Uh, and, that, and that's what we do. We have to be taught to, to share. Now, when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, we're, we still have that bent to sin. And there's a great truth that we sometimes never learn, and it deals with what's mine. And we have to realize this, that all we have is not really ours. 
Or as we'd say, it's now mine. It's been given to us by God. We're to use everything that we have for the glory of God. Everything we have is temporary and just passing through. So I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. I've got the question, how do we? How should we view our lives? Look what he says, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. He says, we brought nothing into this world. We didn't come in with any possessions. And we cannot take anything out of it either. So we have to realize that all this that we say is mine, it's all temporary. We didn't have it when we came in. We didn't have, we're not going to have it when we go out. When we came in, we came in with absolutely nothing. We didn't even have clothes. So they had to put clothes on us. And guess what? When we're going out, if they didn't put clothes on us, uh, somebody else puts clothes on us as we're going out because we don't even know anything because we're dead. And so the bottom line is, uh, you know, how do we view our lives? We brought nothing in. We take nothing out. Possessions and things are just to be used while we are here. So how do we use what we have? We're set apart. Uh, just think about this. Hey, here's one of the keys, and, and I think one of the things we want to control our things, not our things control us. Now think about that. You can put that down at the bottom of the page. We want to control our things, not our things control us. We want to use the things that God's given to us for His glory uh, as we uh, in this progressive sanctification. So in this lesson, we're going to hit two different things. We're going to look at our possessions, and we're going to look at our talents, our abilities. And so let's start, and if you turn to the top of the second page, we're going to look at our possessions. And I want to raise three questions. Uh, as Prof. Hendricks used to say, I want to raise three questions and then answer them. That's the way Prof. would do it. We're going to have three questions there, and we'll, we'll just kind of talk to them. The first one is, why is it important to study about possessions? Why is it so important? And then, number two is we're going to talk about the biblical view of possessions or things. The biblical view of possessions or things. And then the third thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about how do we deal with our possessions. Now the truth is this, uh, and uh, as I look out in Radio Land, or as we think about the, the podcast thing, listen, every one of us listen to this, we have all kind of possessions. We have so much of everything. We don't have one shirt. We have 20 shirts, 30 shirts. We don't have one pair of shoes. We have 10 pair of shoes. We don't have one Bible. We probably got five Bibles or more. And so when you start thinking about possessions, and so the very first question we want to raise is, why is it so important that we deal with this? What difference does it make? What difference does it make how we deal with our possessions, how we deal with our finances? Can, can we not be believers and, and be fired up for Christ and not really worry about the whole issue of possessions and things? No, no. Here we go. Why is it so important, A, that the use of our possessions and finances, and I'm going to give you time to write this one down, the use of our possession and finance, possessions and finances is a good indication of how we are doing spiritually. The use of our possessions and finances is a good indication of how 
we're doing spiritually. Now think about that. That's kind of a hard statement. In other words, when you look at how a person deals with finances, how they deal with possessions, it's a pretty good indication of how they're doing spiritually. It shows spiritual growth. It shows priorities. Jesus said you can't serve what? Two masters. You can't serve God and mammon, which means material things, which means possessions. And so uh, the old saying is, I got where it says two indicators. This is under that. Not, it's not B, but it's two indicators. They used to say, we can tell you a lot about you from two things, your checkbook and your date book, what you do with your time, what you do with your money. Of course, people don't use checkbooks as much anymore, but the bottom line is looking at how you spend your money and how you spend your time is going to say what your priorities are. People say things like, oh, I love my church, and they give $50 a month to their church, and they save $500 a month for their vacation. I'm just throwing that out. I'm making that up. But that's the truth. Somebody would say, oh, my church is the most important thing in my life. I give $50 a month to that, but I give $500 for my vacation every month. I mean, so what we're saying is, look and see. You can tell a lot by how people use their money, how people use their time. And so when we say, why is it important to look at this? I says, because it's going to give you an indication of where you are spiritually. And there are two indicators there. So then there we go to B. B. And this is going to be a little bit longer one, too. So you need to write this one down. Listen carefully. How we deal with our possessions. How we deal with our possessions and money. How we deal with our possessions and money will affect and shape. How we deal with our possessions and money will affect and shape other areas of our lives. How we deal with our possessions and money will affect and shape other areas of our lives. Now, a lot of people don't think about it that way. How we deal with possessions, how we deal with our money is going to affect Every other areas of our lives, in fact, how we deal with other people, okay? Think about number one, our relationships. How we deal with money and possessions is going to affect the relationships. First of all, it's going to affect yourself. If you're in a bunch of debt, if you've got bills coming due and you don't have the money to pay for them, if you're not sure where your money's going, you, you're going to probably be anxious. You're going to be upset. If you're married and your spouse and, and, and you're getting bills in that you can't pay, it's going to affect your relationship with your wife or your family or your kids come to you and they say, Daddy, I need some books for school and you don't have the money to give it to them or you spend it on you. you know, so it affects our relationships. Number two, it affects our recreation, our free time. It determines where you can go and what you do. Now, what happens a lot of times is people say, I can't go on vacation, but they actually do, and they go borrow the money. They put it on a credit card or they borrow the money. But in reality, that what they're doing is they're borrowing that sort of thing. So how you deal with money and possessions is going to affect uh, free time. Do you borrow to go on vacation? The third one is it affects ministry. And this is one that is just amazing. Will you give to your church? What missions can you give to? Uh, if St. Jude sent you a note and you said, Oh, I love those little children. I would do anything to help them. But you don't have any money. Why don't you have any money? Well, because you're not wisely using what God's given you, and so you can't give it away. Or your church is so vital to you, but you say things like, I just wish I could give, but we just don't have anything to give. What do you mean you don't have anything to give? So how you deal with your money and possessions is going to affect even your ministry. We all know that the average believer... 
This is what's so amazing. The average believer in the United States gives 1.7%. Now, that's the believer. If you understand that in a local church, 100% of the people in the church, 50% of the people in the church never give. Never have given and never will give. The other 50% of those, the average gives 1.7%. Now, there's a, whole, there's, a bunch, there's a small group of people that give a lot of money. And that's in almost all churches. It's the old Pareto rule. It's the 80-20. 20% of the people take care, basically give more than all everybody else combined. That's what happens. So it's going to affect dealing, how you deal with money and possessions. It's going to affect how you deal with ministry. And then the fourth thing is your future. Your future and the whole idea of retirement. I read the other day that 85% of the people when they retire have less than $250 saved. Now that may surprise you, but I read something the other day. We're right in the middle of all this virus thing. And what they said was this, the average family, if they got a bill of $400 or more, they can't pay it. The average family, if they got a bill of $400 or more, uh, I talked with Doug Crouch the other day, and he was saying that sometimes they'll, they'll go to a family and something will be wrong, and it's going to be like five or $600 to fix it. And he doesn't just walk in and say, hey, it's going to cost five or $600. He knows that the average person, if you say five or $600, they, that, that's beyond them automatically. So there's other ways to have to say it. So we, we live in a culture that a $400 bill wrecks your family. And so we have to be, so how we deal with money, how we deal with possessions, uh, really it affects the, the, the retirement for the future, it affects what you can do right now, those kind of things. So as we say, why is it so important? Well, first of all, it's a good indicator of where you are spiritually, and second is, it's going to affect all the other areas of your life. So that's why we deal with it. The second one is, let's talk about the biblical view of possessions. And how should we view our possessions, the things that we have? How do we view the material things? The first thing that we realize that we are stewards. In other words, all that we have comes from God and we're entrusted to use it wisely. I'll never forget that people have always, I used to hear somebody say, they'd say, well, okay, I get my money and here's my 100% and God gets 10%. First of all, I wish they did that because that's a, that's a lot more than most people give. But here's the problem is they think like 90% is mine and 10% is God's. No, no, 100% of it God's. He says, all of this, this 100%, you're to use it wisely. You're a steward of what I have given to you. So we need to start realizing that when we get a paycheck, when we get any kind of money in, it's not our money. It's God entrusting to us. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 basically says, all that we have comes from God. He even raises the question. He basically asks it like, if everything, why do you act proud when you realize that everything you have, God gave you? You know, can you boast on anything? The truth is, no, you can't boast on anything. Colossians three seventeen, whatever you do in word or deed, do in all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we are stewards. So the very first thing, we are stewards entrusted. Now, by the way, when whenever you read something in the Bible and it talks about rich. We all say, well, we're not rich. The truth is, every one of us in the United States as a whole are rich. 
if you even compare our poorest people in the United States to the rest of the world, we're richer. Our poorest people are richer than everybody else in the rest of the world. There are some parts of the world that they make $5 a day. That's a normal income of a person. We give more, we, uh, uh, one of our children lose a tooth and the tooth fairy gives them $20. Right? I mean, think about our culture. So when we read in the Bible about riches, we need to grasp that we're the rich ones. And I want you to see the warning uh, that he gives in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I think it's, what is it, verse 9? He says this, he says, But, but those who want to get rich and, and were to fall into a temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. He says, listen, there's nothing wrong with being rich, but to desire to be rich is a problem. To desire to have a lot. If it's okay that God might uh, take care of you and do that sort of thing, but if you're not careful you get pulled away. In fact, he goes on to say, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. He didn't say money is, he didn't say the, he didn't say uh, money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evils. Things come from that. When you want things, when you want money, it leads to a lot of other things. He goes on and says, and some have wandered away from the faith. And then he really hits a part that I think is, is really powerful. If you just flip over, if your Bible's like mine, flip over to verse 17. Look what he says. And this is talking directly to all of us. Here it is. Instruct those who are rich in this present world, that is us, not to be conceited. We say, we're in the United States. we got more money than anybody else in the world. We're the richest people in the world. We're the smartest people in the world. No, no, no. God has just chosen to bless us. And, and so not to be conceited or to fix our hope on the uncertainty of riches because you can have a bunch one day and the stock market can drop 40% in two weeks, which we have seen in our country in the last month. The stock market has gone from 30000 to 20000 just like that. So don't fix your hope on uncertainty of riches. Put your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So he says, listen, here's the warning. Be careful. Don't love money. It'll pull you away. Don't be, care be careful because the love of money will pull you away. And be careful. Don't put your hope on riches because it it'll go away. It you know, but put your hope on God. Okay, so that's the biblical aspect of, of dealing with uh, riches and dealing with possessions. Now, uh, biblical bottom line about it now, but number three is how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? And so I think this is going to be, you know, really practical. So let's think through it. Uh, dealing with possessions, A, one, number one, begin, realize all we have is from God. That's how it starts. And, and I'm going to write it on the board as I'm teaching this just so I can see it and, and we can think through it. Realize all we have, everything, comes from God. So that means everything belongs to him. That means that when he says, when he gives me a paycheck, when Brian types it out, something, and, and I, it gets put in the thing, uh, in reality, it's really his. And that I could say, well, I worked for that. Well, who gave you the job? Who gave you the ability to work? Who, get, who let you be there? I mean, who let you live? I mean, the whole, that realize everything comes from God. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, every gift from 
comes from God. It's all His grace. Our salvation, the power to serve, the spiritual gifts, the ministry, the things, everything comes from God. That's A. B is control our possessions. And what we mean by that is we don't let them control you, but you control them. We take control of what God has entrusted to us. So number one, everything we have from, comes from God. Number two is control, and we could put it in a good, uh, a nicer way, use what God has given. Use it. Use it wisely. And we've been talking about that. We know that we're accountable and all those sort of things. So uh, use it wisely. And so uh, that's, you know, that's part of this thing. Uh, so control our possessions. Now, I'm going to give you a number one. And here's what number one is. And it's a bad word. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it. The bad word is budget. So number one, write spending plan. Doesn't spending plan sound a lot better than a budget? It does, because you say to yourself, uh, a budget says, ah, this tells me what I can spend. Spending plan says, this is what I've decided how I'm going to spend. I've got $100. A budget says, this is what you spend. Spending plan, i got $100. This is how I'm going to spend my $100. Sounds a lot better. But they're both the same, a budget and a spending plan. Uh, when we think of a budget, people think it's restrictive. No, no, it's just you deciding how you're going to put your stuff together. It's a budget is, and a spending plan is you deciding how you're going to spend what God has given you. You decide how you're going to use what God has given to us. Everything comes from God, so we are to use what God has given to us. And the first thing there is a spending plan. Or a budget. Everybody uses budget, and, and most people have a negative connotation to budget. That's why I like to say spending plan. When I teach biblical finances, I always say spending plan. But budget's okay. And so here, why do we do this? Why have a budget? A, we know where our money is going. You know why we know where our money's going? Because we decide where our money's going. That's what A is. We decide. The budget is we decide so we know where our money's going. We know where our money is going. So it's pretty, pretty good when you think about it that way. That's A. Uh, uh, what and where you're spending. B. There is a plan and there is wisdom in planning. So B is there is wisdom in planning. And you're saying, what are you talking about? Well, let me show you something. First of all, when you, when you, get, when you get money, when you get your, your so-called budget, or look, there's things that you spend every month. I mean, there's an electric bill, and there's food, and, there, and so you have to plan out how much is the electric bill, basically. How much am I going to spend on food? What about gas? What about those kind of things? But there's also wisdom in the sense that you have car insurance, but it comes due every six months. So you can't just say when that bill comes through, you go, oh, my gracious, i gotta, I got to pay $370 for a car insurance. No. There's, when you have a budget, you plan and you take that that's four hundred dollars or something. You divide it by six, you know. 
you know, and you put back 65 or something dollars every month so that when the six month comes due, you have the money to pay the bill. That's planning. That's wisdom. It's like, you know, if you've got a mortgage coming and a lot of people, they have a escrow account and they take all those things up, but some people don't. And, and like, I don't have a mortgage anymore, but I have to set back every month the money for my taxes and for my insurance because it all comes due at one time. And so if I didn't set it back, all of a sudden I've got this big bill and I go, how am I going to pay that? Well, why didn't you set back one-twelfth of it every month to pay for it when it comes? That's why a budget will give you wisdom and help you control, and there's wisdom in planning. A person says, I need a new car, okay, or I need a, new, a different car. Okay, well, when, how long do you think this one will last? How much do you think you're going to spend on the next one? Okay, start putting back money every month so that when this one basically wears out, you'll have the money to buy the next one. That's the wisdom in planning. C, and the, the C part there is there is you get, you are in control of your finances. It takes the pressure off. When you decide how you're going to spend, you know where your money's going, you get the plan, and it takes the pressure off because you're in control. Listen, I've met with people and do budgets and things, and people will come in and they say, we're all kind of troubled and everything. We don't know what we're doing. And we sit down and we look at the money coming in and the money going out. We put a budget together. Even if they still owe money, when they put their budget together and they say, okay, now I have this much for this, all of a sudden they relax. They realize that they're in control, that, that they don't have to worry about it because they have it. I have to tell you that there was a young family years and years and years ago when I first came to town, and they were the sweetest people, and uh, he uh, uh, was going to school and had a part-time job, and she had a part-time job, and they were in our church, and they just had a baby, and everything was good except they came to me one day and they said, uh, we, we're in trouble. I said, what do you mean? They said, well... We, we borrowed some money from my grandmother, but we, we, not, we hadn't even made a single payment back, and we were supposed to pay so much money every month. And we love our church, but we have never given to our church because we don't, we don't have any money to give. We don't know how to do anything. Will you help us? So I, I went over to their house, and we sat down, and we made a budget. And when we made the budget, they didn't realize what money they had coming in. They didn't realize what money they had going out. When we set the whole thing down, not only did they actually have more money coming in than they thought, but when they took charge of it, they now realized that they could give a little to the church and they could start paying the grandmother back. And they were in control. And all of a sudden, they said, wow, this we feel so much better. I said, of course you do, because now you're in control. You know where your money's going. You can plan it, and the pressure is off. That's why it is so important to have a spending plan. There are a lot of people that don't have spending plans. They say things like, oh, it's too restricting. Oh, I know where my money goes. Oh, I know what I'm doing. Dave Ramsey will say that when you put yourself on a budget, you will feel like you got a raise because you didn't realize where you were spending things until you sit down and take control of it. So that's that's the key. Though. So the first part there is be sure and you know get that spending plan and it, it realize that you know what can happen there. You know where your money's going. You have the plan that you're, there's wisdom there and, it, and you're under control. The second, the big number two there is use our things. Just remember this: use our things. Take what God's given us. Spend wisely. Uh, give to touch lives. Here's what I tell people all the time. Give, save, spend, 
And the, the big three, give, say, and, and spend, because the bottom line is you give to touch lives for Jesus Christ. You save for your family and for your future, and, and, and then you spend for God's glory. I mean, most people think that, okay, giving for God's glory and saving is fine, but spending for God's glory? Yeah, there are things that possibly you might not buy. If you thought about, do I, you know, God gave me this, should I be spending this? Sometimes we don't think that way. Remember, we're just passing through. Everything that we have now is just a temporary thing anyway. So two things to focus on as we, as we think about, as we finish out the whole idea of possessions, is A, seek the eternal. Seek the eternal. Uh, Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. Uh, offer your life to, as a living sacrifice, offer your body, tell God you want your life to count for him. So seek the eternal while you're here. And B, are you ready for this one? Learn to be content. Learn to be content. It is not natural. It is natural not to be content. It is natural to say, I want more of that. You, you, you know, Gina and I have been talking, we'll come in, I'll come in, and we'll eat. She'll fix food, we'll eat it. And as soon as we get through eating, we go, I'm still hungry. No, you're not still hungry. You don't need to keep eating. You're really not hungry, but you keep saying, I want something else. Uh, I wonder what else is in here. You know, as the bottom line is, we just need to learn to be content on everything. I mean, God gives you what you need. God gives you, in fact, for most of us, He's given us beyond our needs. Philippians 4, 11, 12, Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I am. I learned how to abound. I've learned how to abase. I learned to, when I got a lot, I learned when I got a little. A little. And the truth is, if we, if we realize that everything we have comes from God, we're to control that, get us a spending plan, it will tell us where our money goes, it'll help us to plan and think, it'll take the pressure off, and then if we take and use what he's given us for, to give, to save, and to spend all of that, looking to the eternal and being content. So I hope if you're at home, if you're listening, to that, if you got questions or anything, be sure and call me. But this is a powerful area because it will change your life if you take control of your money and possessions. It will change your life. Uh, a lot of people think they have control. But they don't. They don't have a budget. They don't, know, they don't really know where their money's going. Uh, I, I listen to Dave Ramsey a lot. And there'll be people calling in and they're making $200,000 a year. And they're putting money on credit cards every month. They're spending more than they're taking in. They're, make, they're bringing in all kind of money every month. They're bringing in fifteen dollars to $20,000 a month. And they can't pay their bills. And if you ask them, they say, well, I, I don't know where it's going. And they start making a budget, and all of a sudden they realize they're spending things. And so I, I challenge you, take in charge uh, of your possessions, of your money, get on your budget, do all those things, and, and uh, it's going to be a lot better. It's just going to be amazing. And now, the last one, this is the fourth one that we've been thinking about as a Christian life, as we want to be conformed to the image of Christ, as we're being set apart. This last one is our abilities, and I'm calling it two different things, okay? Two, two different aspects. First of all, our talents, which talents, and we'll talk about the difference, what they are in just a minute, and our gifts. And if you want to write there, put spiritual gifts, okay? Because we're not, that's what we're talking about. Our talents and our spiritual gifts. And we'll see how that ties together in just a minute. When you think about the body of Christ, God uses all kind of illustrations to talk about the body of Christ. Look, uh, uh, the church. Look, at number one, uh, a spiritual temple. 
You realize that? In 1 Peter, we're talked about a spiritual temple that is built up, uh, eternal things. So we're a spiritual temple of God. Number two, we're the bride of Christ. We all know that one. Everybody, we talk about that one all the time. We say, oh, we're the bride of Christ, and he's the bridegroom, and he's going to come to get us. We think about that. The third one a lot of times we think about is uh, he's the vine, and we're the branches. That connection. The branches connected to the vine. Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. But there's one more that's used all the time, especially in Paul's writing, and that is that the body of Christ. The, the church is the body of Christ. We're spiritual temple, the bride of Christ. We're the branches, he's the vine, but we're also the body of Christ. We find the church is called this. He's the head, we're the body. And Paul uses an analogy, and he talks about the head and the body, and like Christ is the head, and then we're the body, and as the body has all these different parts to it, hands, feet, eyes, nose, ears, chest, all these things, uh, we, that's each one of us, in the body of Christ. And so that's what we find out. The great truth is taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In fact, in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 13, talks about we're placed into one body. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14, we're one body with many members. And so think about it. When we think about our church, and, and let's say that we all gather together, and there's like 500 of us if we all just gathered at one time, maybe more, and we're all there, Every one of us are different. Every one of us have different gifts, talents, and abilities. And every one of us uh, are to be used. And so we're in the body of Christ with different responsibilities. So what we want to think about is the two aspects, our talents and our gifts. Okay, our talents and our gifts. Let's start with talent. And when we talk about talent, we're talking about some things that you're good at, that you're naturally good at. There's some things we can do. That doesn't mean we don't have to practice. There's some people that they, they can do math. They sit there. I think of, of uh, uh, Sky. Uh, you know, Sky Rock. She loves math, and she loves thinking about it. And uh, I, I don't love it that much, you know. And she can just put things together. And then there's other people, like I look at Doug Crouch. He can do anything with his hand. I mean, he can say, oh, I can fix that. He can fix that. I, I break every commode I've ever worked on. I mean, I do everything. So I can't do things like that. But there are other things we can do. So each one of us are unique and special. We have different gifts, different gifts and, and, and abilities and talents. And so we think about being set apart from God. So we must... Develop, and if you, this is still under that first Corinthians, we must develop and train ourselves in these areas, but we have strength. There are some people who can do what? They can sing. And there are some people who can't sing. And listen, you can, you can work with people who can't sing, but guess what? They, they still can't sing very good, even if you work with them. And there are some people who can just sing. If you ever watched America's Got Talent, or if you ever watched those, these, these little people will come out, and they're 9 years old, they're 12 years old, and they start singing, and you go, how in the world can they sing that good? Because it's a talent that God has given to them. Uh, but they all have to practice. Uh, all of us have different talents. Uh, playing the piano, I think of Debbie Wells. I've watched Debbie Wells play the piano for 35 years. She just gets in there and just starts playing. You could put me back there for days on end, and I might could do chopsticks, but that's about it. I don't have that. I just I, I watched Jeremiah doing the drum thing, and I mean he can just do that drum thing. I can't even keep the rhythm. I can't do it. And so I go, well, that's not me. That's not me. But there are other things that we can do. Some people are great at sports, and some people can dance, and some people have strength and agility and all those kind of things. So let's think about talents. And when we think about our talents uh, and strengths, a a. We're to recognize that they're from God. We're to recognize they're from God.
you know, I, one of the things that, I've, that I, I was always able to do, and that's run real fast for short times. I mean, I, I'm not a distance runner, but I can run pretty fast. I have this natural, they call it quick fiber, quick something. I can get in the blocks, and I mean, they shoot that gun, and I can, I'm out of there just like a bullet. I just, I've always been able to do that. I have those quick things, quick, quick but, but I can't run 20 miles. 10 miles. I can't do that sort of thing. So all of us, we, we, when you say, somebody says, oh, I, I'm a great jumper. I can run fast. I can sing. I can do this. We say, yes, because that's from God. God fixed you where you can sing. You can run. You can jump. You, you know how to put things together. You can work with your hands. You're, you can logically think through things. All of those things. So the first thing we do is we recognize they are from God. B, thank him for these strengths. Thank him. Okay? Thank him. We say, Lord, thank you that you let me do this, or you let me do this, or uh, just all the things that he's done for us. And then the third thing under our talents is let's use them for his glory. Who was, oh, uh, there was, I can't remember the girl that was a Christian singer. And then she switched over to sing uh, regular songs, too. And people got all over her. And I said, well, what if she started off singing regular songs and switched over to Christian songs? Nobody would have said anything. She does both. What's wrong with that? I mean, I don't even remember who she is now, but it's been years ago. But, but it's, you know, people, whatever you have, if it's to run fast, if it's to think this way, if it's to work with your hands, if it's to sing, if it, use that for the glory of God. Psalm 139, I, I love it, and I think it's at, it's at the top of the next page. If you want to turn there, at, well, you don't have to. Psalm 139, verse 14 basically says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That means, when he says fearfully, it's like awe-inspiring. When you look at a person, and you think about God made that each individual person created in his image with different abilities, with different talents, you go, that is amazing. That is amazing. I tell people all the time, look, you don't want to be like everybody else. First of all, why do you want to be like somebody else? Nobody else is like you. you God made you unique and special. That's verse 14. In verse 15, God, God knew what he was doing. <laughs> God knows what he's doing. He knows. He's planned. He's looked at our lives. He's made us for how we are. You know, all my life, I was always upset that I was short. But you get older, and after a point in time, you don't really care that much. You, you don't care that much. In fact, height is way overrated. But anyway, the, the bottom line is, it used to bother me so much. I wish that I'd been a Christian when I was younger. It might not have bothered me as much. I don't know. Okay, the, 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 the number, verse 16 says, God has planned our lives, and we are special. And so take those natural talents and abilities and use them for the glory of God. So as, as you're listening to this, what are your talents? Can you sing? Can you run? Can you, can you talk? Can you, are you logical? Do you, can you fix things? What, what are your talents? Can you play the piano? Can you, can you, you know how to make a computer work, right? Can you, can you do all these things? And because some people, they just can do things where other people can't. And that's okay. Everybody's got their own talents. Use them for the glory of God. That takes us to the next thing, and that's 
spiritual gifts. Wow. I just put the word gifts there. It's really spiritual gifts. They're given to us by God. Every one of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, not only do we have talents, but we're gifted by God. Let me just say this. A a regular person out there, a non-believer, has talents all over the place. I mean, some of the greatest football players of all time might be somebody that says, well, I don't believe about Jesus. But we're saying not only do we have different talents, but we also have spiritual gifts given to us by God. We say that a spiritual gift is a divine ability given by God for His glory. If you want to write that out to the side, a spiritual gift is a divine ability given by God to use for His glory. That's what it's all about. Spiritual gift is a divine ability given by God to use for His glory. So, let me give you, uh, I've got, listen, it should be, do you have A, B, C, and D? You should have also E. So right down underneath the D, right at E. For some reason it didn't get in there. I don't know why, but I I marked it. So, listen to this. Um, Here, when we think about gifts, A, Every believer has at least one gift. We all know this. This is not new to anybody. We've taught this many, many times, but I think it's very vital just to remind ourselves. Every believer has at least one gift. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 7, if you want to write a verse out beside it. Every believer has at least one gift. Okay? B, you may have more than one gift. You may have more than one gift. When I think about Paul... We know that Paul was an apostle. That's a spiritual gift. We know that Paul could teach. That's a spiritual gift. We know that Paul spoke in tongues. That's a spiritual gift. We know that Paul was a leader. That's that's most like a spiritual gift of leadership or or administration. I mean, you start looking and you say, Paul was a prophet. That's a spiritual gift. I mean, so, you know, Paul had a lot more than one gift. I I know people that probably have more than one spiritual gift. C, you will not have all the gifts. You will not have all the gifts. Right out beside that, 1 Corinthians 12, 29 and 30. 1 Corinthians 12, 29 and 30. Uh, he says, do all speak in tongues? No. Do all have the gifts of administration? No. Do all do? He's listing all the things and the answer is No. Uh, so the, the reason you don't have all the gifts, if you had all the gifts, you wouldn't need another Christian. The reason that God says, I give some people this gift and this gift and this gift and this gift, because remember, they're all in one body, and we all go together, and we all work together, and we all, that's the plan, so you, we won't have all the gifts. Number four, or D, gifts are given for ministry within the body. That's 1 Corinthians twelve seven. Gifts are given for ministry in the body, that we serve within the body of Christ. Now, when I say we serve within the body of Christ, that doesn't mean we don't go into the world and use our gifts because that's all within the body of Christ. So that's what I mean by that. Okay? And then E, which is, just write this one in, God decides which gifts you have. God decides which gifts you have. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. So you don't decide what spiritual gift you have. That's why in the, the whole charismatic movement, and everybody says, you just ask, ask God to give you the gift of tongues, he'll give it to you. God, he, he, you don't ask for the gifts. He gives you the gifts. First Corinthians 12, 7, he gives as he wills, not as we will. And so God gives the gifts as he chooses. Let me just say this about spiritual gifts too. When you recognize your gift and you get to use your gift, you are so pumped up. 
It, it is so wonderful to use the spiritual gifts that God has given to you. So it's made. So how does it work? I've got down 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 4, 5, and 6. Uh, but look at 1 Corinthians 4, uh, uh, 12, verse 4. Basically says there are many gifts. Okay, just, I didn't put verse 5, I mean, I didn't put verse 4, but you can write it out beside that there are many gifts. There are at least 18 gifts listed in the New Testament. We at Stillwater Bible look at it and say basically nine of them are temporary gifts and nine are permanent gifts. So we see it in a little bit different way than some people do, but there are many gifts. Verse 5 says there are many ministries. There are all kind of gifts. And these gifts are used to do different ministries. He says there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. And then the third thing in verse 6, there are a variety of effects. In other words, the outcomes, the usages, the, 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 the results. He says, so there are a lot of gifts. They're using a lot of ministries with a lot of outcomes. That's what it is. So somebody may have the gift of teaching, and they, they use it in a certain ministry. Somebody else has a different gift of teaching. They use it in a different ministry. Some people, when they teach, have this effect. Some people have this effect. Some people have the gift of helps. They use it in this ministry, or they use it in this ministry, or there's an effect over here. There's an effect over here. Somebody has the gift of administration, and they do this in a particular ministry. They do this somewhere right over here. There are a variety of gifts. There are varieties of ministries, and there are varieties of outcomes and effects. And it's all because God has given to all of us these spiritual gifts. And if you, I put down at the top of the next page, Gifts are given for the common good. You use your gift not for yourself, but for others. Now, I'm, I'm going to come back again and talk a little bit about the charismatic thing because I, uh, I've had to deal with this a lot in my life. And I've had charismatic people say, your, your gift of tongues is for you. You use it to edify yourself. Spiritual gifts are not to edify yourself. Spiritual gifts are to edify the body. We don't use, it'd be like me saying, I'm going to go into my office, shut the door, and teach myself and be edified by teaching myself. That, 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 that's not how you do it. So spiritual gifts are not for yourself. They're for the body. They're for the common good. That's why it's 1 Corinthians 12, 7, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 12 says the same thing. Ephesians 4, 12 says equipping the saints to do the ministry. So it's, it's all about that. Romans uh, uh, chapter 12 talks about how they fit together, that the gifts are to use them. Now, I've got something really special. I want you to turn to First Peter chapter 4, okay, because I want you to see something. There, there are a number of places in the Bible where he talks about gifts. Well, First Peter 4, he talks about gifts. And I want you to see what he says about them. <clears throat> and we're going to divide them in a certain way. First Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 and notice what he says. I'm going to wait a second, make sure everybody's there. But First, uh, first uh, Peter 4, verse 10 says this. As each one has received a gift. Now, if you have a Bible like mine, which is a New American Standard, they put the word special in there. And if you notice, the special is in italics, which means it's not really there. It doesn't read that. It actually says, as each one has received a gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So it starts off, verse 10 base says, basically says, each one has a what? Has a gift. Everybody's got at least one gift. As each one of us has received a gift, it is that divine ability. Look what he goes on to say. Use it 
employ it in serving one another. Now, see, think about it. Use your gift to serve who? One another. You don't use your gift to serve yourself. You use your gift to, to use it to serve one another, to serve others. Remember, it's for the common good. And he says, as you've received a gift, whatever gift it is, gift or gifts, then use it. Use it to serve one another. And he goes on to say, uh, 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 as good stewards of the grace of God. As good stewards, because God gave you the gift. Then he says something that I really, really like. And, and this is sort of uh, dividing the gifts up. And here's what he says. He says, whoever speaks, if you have a speaking gift, speak the utterances of God. Whoever serves, if you have a serving gift, do it by serving in God's power. So if you want to look at it in verse 11, he divides the gifts into two things. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. Whoever speaks, speak what? What are you supposed to speak if you have a speaking gift? Listen to this. Whoever speaks is to do so, is to speak the utterances of God. If you have a speaking gift, you are to speak the Bible. If you have a teaching gift, you teach the Bible. If you have the gift of evangelism, you give the message of salvation found in the Bible. If you have whatever your upfront type gift is, whatever it is, whatever speaking gift you have, you've got to teach the Bible. Let me tell you, if you talk, if you have a gift and you don't teach the Bible, you're just talking. He says, if you're going to speak, speak the utterances of God, the Word of God. Then look what he says. If you're going to serve, and this he says, so if you don't have a speaking gift but you have a serving gift, he says, serve in the power of God. Notice, whoever serves is to do so serving by the strength which God supplies. Serve in the power that God has given us. So if you have a speaking gift, speak the Bible. If you have a serving gift, which basically is how he's dividing them, that's all others, then use it in God's power. Serve in God's power. There are people that are very gifted in speaking, and they give good messages, but they're not the Bible at all. They're, they're not. They're, they, people say, well, that person is very entertaining. Oh, yeah, they're a really good speaker, but they taught absolutely nothing. And Paul, Peter says, if you're going to speak... Speak the utterances of God. Speak the Word of God. Teach the Bible. I love what he says at the end. Whoever speaks, speak the utterance of God. Whoever serves, serves in God's strength. And he says, why? So that in all things, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the, belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He says, the whole reason you do it, God gets the glory. Through Jesus Christ. God gets the glory through Jesus Christ. Wow. And so, as, as you're out there listening, here's the question. What is your gift or gifts? How are you using them? If it's a speaking gift, you need to be teaching, speaking the Bible. If it's a serving gift, you need to be serving in God's power. The ultimate goal is that God would be glorified. So what are your gifts? You don't have all the gifts. You have maybe more than one gift. God gave you the gift. Uh, and we thank God for the gifts that he's given us. And so as we boil it down to this on these spiritual gifts, we serve, if you notice on your sheet, we serve God and others. Let's talk about serving God. Colossians chapter 3. Just write down Colossians 3, verse 24. I'm going to read it to you. 
He's talking about serving. And he says, slaves do this. And then he says, whatever you do, do it for the Lord rather than for men. For from the Lord you will receive a reward. And then he says, for it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Who are we actually serving when we're using our spiritual gifts? We're serving God. That's who we're serving. So we serve God and others. Colossians 3.24, we're actually serving Him. And then we serve others. Galatians 5.13, by love, what do we do? Serve one another. We're actually serving others as well. So when you serve God, you're serving God and others. When you're serving others, you're serving others and God. I mean, it really all goes together. So why in the world do you use your gifts? Because you're serving God and others. So think about this. We're set apart our abilities as holy people. We have talents to develop. We have spiritual gifts to use. The goal is that all of this goes together to glorify God. So let me give you the applications, which is right at the very, very end. We've got five applications. And as, after this, we've got one more lesson to go. But So here we go. Applications number one. And this goes back to our whole lesson. Remember, everything we have comes from God, our possession and our abilities. Everything we have comes from God, our possession and our abilities. And then right out from that, and it is for the glory of God. Everything we have comes from God, which is our possessions and abilities, and it is for the glory of God. Okay, second, how we use our possessions tell us a great deal about our spiritual maturity. How we use our possessions will tell us a great deal about our spiritual maturity. Because so many times we're still saying mine when it's really his. How we use our possessions tell us a great deal about our spiritual maturity. Number three, Seek the eternal as we live on this earth. Seek the eternal as we live on this earth. Number four, develop your talents for the glory of God. Develop your talents for the glory of God. If you're good at math, if you're good with your hands, if you can sing, if you can play the piano, if you're whatever you're good at, those those natural talents that God has given you, seek to develop them, use them for the glory of God. Let me tell you something. John Maxwell, now John Maxwell is a great teacher on leadership, and he always says this. He says we've got different abilities, and he says, and and so he says he says let's make them like a one to ten. And a one means you, you can't do it at all. You're not worth a flip at this. And ten is you're really good at this. He said, so let's say that you're a four in something. He says, what a lot of people tell you to do if you're a four in something, try to develop it and get it up to a five. Well, a five's still not very good. He says, but what if you're an eight in something? What you want to do is develop that because you can be a nine or a ten. And so he says, so on the things that you're good at, develop those, work at it, get better and better. Some things you're not good at. Listen, I'm never going to be the kind of guy that's going to fix things. Jean and I, when we got married, her dad was a farmer. He could fix anything in the world. And I told her, even while we dated, I said, honey, I'm just, 
I'll break everything. I'm not going to be able to fix it. So when something goes wrong, either you can fix it or we'll call somebody to come fix it. But I'm just not me. I'm like a two on fixing things. But on some other things, I might be a seven or an eight. I can't think of what they might be, but anyway, they might be. So anyway, develop your talents for the glory of God. And then, then the number five, use your gifts in service in the body of Christ for God's glory. Use your gifts in service in the body of Christ for God's glory. So use your gifts in service in the body of Christ for God's glory. Wow. What would happen, as we're all listening, what would happen if every believer took their bodies and said, I'm going to use my body for the glory of God. I'm going to use my time for the glory of God. I'm going to use my money and possessions and everything for the glory of God. I'm going to use my talents and my spiritual gifts for the glory of God. What would happen? What would happen in our church if everybody started using their spiritual gifts? What would happen if everybody in our church started using their talents? What if everybody started taking of their money and possessions, taking charge of that, realizing it's all of God's, and were to give and to save and to use wisely and all that? What would happen if everybody looked at their possessions as, listen, it's all from God, I'm going to use it for His glory? What if everybody said, I've only got so much time on this earth, I want to use my days for the glory of God? What would happen if we did all of that? What a difference it might make. Okay, our memory verse is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17.